You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. So let's open up our Bibles. Open your Bibles up to to, um, not Ephesians. We are in a different series now to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And encourage you to have your Bibles. Ushers, do you have Bibles ready in case anyone needs a Bible? If anyone needs a Bible, raise your hand and uh, the ushers would be glad to put that in your hand. Encourage you to buy one of these journals. Take notes, so your own personal notes, um, journaling, diary kind of thing, whatever it is. Uh, sermon notes you can put, take in here. You can buy one of these for $5 or great stocking stuffers for you to buy for that special someone in your life and, uh, or buy it for yourself and, and would it be a great treat for you in that way. Um, Luke chapter 1, we'll look at that in a moment and if you do if you need a bible just just raise your hands the ushers are ready for that as well as um, if you don't have a bible at home please take that home let that be our gift to you today and uh and and to take god's word and to allow god's word to work in your life now i'm sure as we are getting ready for christmas and you drive all over the place and you see the christmas lights and it's such a beautiful time of year i'm sure that we can all especially as you start to get a little older so like in your even in your late teenage years, you start reminiscing a little bit about certain Christmases and, and memories that hold a special place in your heart. And, and, and um, you know, maybe it was that Christmas where you received that special gift that, that you had asked for and hoped for and even prayed for and never thought you would get, and you ended up getting it. Or maybe it was that special Christmas with certain relatives or, or, or friends that just made it so, uh, so impactful for you. Or maybe it's looking back nostalgically at Christmas's past when at times maybe life seemed a lot more simple and way less complicated. And we reflect on those memories and it, does, it does this warming, has this warming effect in our heart. And maybe you can even trace back as you start thinking and dwelling upon that and even encourage you to do that this afternoon and that you start thinking about some of the behind-the-scene activity that took place to make those Christmases so special. Maybe it was that over, often overlooked, rarely recognized actions of, love, of loved ones or people that were near and dear to us and uh, that resulted in significant blessing. You know, you just think of grandmothers or mothers oftentimes early getting up and getting the, the turkey ready, and, and that's not your, their husband, and just getting the, the, the turkey in the oven and, 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 you know, just making sure that everything was perfect, that everyone had a gift, no one was, was left out or forgotten in, in any such way. And, um, and, it, and just that issue we've talked about with the sound before, if you guys can... I'm a, it just seems a touch loud in here for me, so uh, if you guys can just look into that a little bit. I just don't want to have it where I'm totally overpowering you folks. Um, anyways, um, the Christmas story is a story that we oftentimes, this time of year, love to reflect on. And uh, we love to highlight the story of Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds and, and, and the angels and Caesar Augustus and, and the town of Bethlehem and, and the manger and the star and, and, and the star in the east. And, and of course, we love to focus on, on, on little baby Jesus. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at um, some of the perhaps, you could say, the seemingly insignificant people that oftentimes are overlooked. 
but insignificant in some ways, but so significant in other ways, just like at Christmas time. Insignificant actions and sacrifice and love and preparations by those that we love make a huge difference. And we're going to look at this in a deeper way here in God's Word when it comes to Jesus the Savior coming to earth. Well, over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at some of these people and, and, uh, and, and men and women whose faithfulness and perseverance and sacrifice helped to crown the King of Kings. We oftentimes think of the shepherds coming and worshiping. We think of the wise men then that came and, and they offered their gifts and they crowned the King. But how, how, how insignificant individuals or couples, people serve the Lord faithfully and, and resulting in significant sacrifice and impact that we're still continuing to talk about today. Their legacy, their life, their obedience continues on to this day. And so today we are going to look at Zechariah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And we're going to see that story in, John, or, or in Luke chapter 1. We'll get to that in just a moment. Their testimonies of faith, their perseverance, their obedience, their encouragement through a period of darkness, through personal disappointments and longings, ended up resulting in them fulfilling God's purposes in their day. Do you know? Now listen up. God has purposes for you to fulfill in this day. Not just to kind of sit around and, and, and make some money and to enjoy, you know, have a nice you know, living and, and make sure you enjoy some thrills and spills. No, God has a purpose for each one of us to fulfill in our day. And it's not, it's not about the bottom line or about how much money you can make ultimately and what kind of... It's what we can do for the kingdom's sake. God has that plan, that purpose for us to fulfill. So if you need to kind of get some smelling salt, wake up some caffeine into you and realize this, that God has purposes for you to, fill, to fulfill in this day. So get on it. And, and, and we're going to see how some of those steps can be taken today. We're going to learn from this faithful couple how they fulfilled God's purposes in some great ways in our lives. Quit existing. We can exist and just go through the motions and just sit so comfortably and live for comfort and live for ourselves in these small little circles when God has so much more for us. He has so much more for you. He has so much more for your family. He has so much more for your marriage. He has so much more for your children and your grandchildren that we would fulfill God's purposes in our days. And would we, like them, crown and honor and bless the King of Kings with our lives? Let's look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of, of Abijah. And he, was a, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Today, five truths. I, I hope you write this down. I hope you either put it into your phone, your tablet, or you put it into your notebooks because these are going to be crucial for you to continue to look at this next week. It's not just one and done, just not sit it and get it and then leave it, but get it and, and review it and allow God's word to continue to keep challenging you. We're going to look at five truths here of insignificant, seemingly insignificant actions that cause significant results for the kingdom's sake that is still being talked about today as we get to talk about their lives. Five truths we need to be reminded of when it comes to insignificant significance for God. First of all, God is at work when the days are dark. And first of all, when the days are dark politically, God is at work. 
God is at work today. God is at work in our nation. God is at work around this world, even when the days seem dark, whether that's politically, and we'll get into another area in a few moments. But as, as it says in, in verse 5, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, basically, in that short little statement, says an awful lot. In other places, this is referred to as Herod the Great. This is King Herod the Great um, that they are talking about. He, his greatness, though, had nothing to do with his character and with his awesomeness when it came to people. No, it, it had much to do with some of his, many of his accomplishments. But he was not a nice person. He was a nasty dictator. He was cruel, vindictive, tyrannical. He was always a, a suspicious and paranoid of anyone or anything. It was said that as long as he lived, no woman's honor was safe and no man's life was secure. This was the kind of king that he was and the kind of kingdom that he had. It was said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. So it'd be better for you to be a pig in his pig pen, uh, at the royal pig pen, than to be his very own son. He regarded the life of a pig perhaps more than that of his own son. When you read secular history, you read and, and you find his vengeance, his cruelty, his bloodshed were, were of such proportions that even ancient historians didn't even include the massacre that took place in Matthew chapter 2 when he decreed out of jealousy, out of anger, out of fear that a new king would be born, when he decreed that all young Jewish boys two years and younger be killed. That was seen. That was third-page news somewhere in the newspaper. That wasn't even getting top-priority news coverage because it was just another one of his schemes and the atrocities that he committed. Like, are you getting the picture? He, this was a nasty time to live. The emperor before that, his name was Antichus the Fourth Epiphanes, and he imposed. Now, and I kind of thought this is kind of interesting in light of where I believe our nation is going, where North America, where much of our world is going. This is what he did. This Antichus the Fourth Epiphanes, he imposed imperial paganism upon the Jews. Complete paganism. He made sacrifices in the temple of God. He desecrated God's temple. And he made it then a capital crime to observe the Sabbath or, or even to even own a piece of the Torah, which was ancient scriptures. And he imposed terror and paganism upon God's people. Have you looked at, B, at Bill C4 and what's coming? That to own a Bible or to believe a Bible, to teach the Bible could easily, faster than we may think, be considered hate speech and could be outlawed in our own nation? This is nothing new. And we see this cycle continue, and it is into this world that Jesus showed up. Jesus needs to show up again, doesn't he? We pray he shows up, just as we were worshiping and singing this morning. Oh, Lord, would you come? But this time, he's not going to come as a savior. He's going to come as a, conquering, as a conquering king. He is coming not to save the world, but to judge the world. We better be ready. Are you ready to meet your Jesus today? And so this statement in verse 5, in those days of King Herod, king of Judea, could be equated to some of the darkest and most evil days that man could remember. 
But as we continue to keep reading, and we see, though, that God, into the darkness, was getting ready to turn on the lights. He was getting ready to turn on the lights. And, and I say this reverently, I say this, this respectfully, God was getting ready for Christmas Day. He was getting ready for the day that the Savior, the King of this world, would be born. God was getting to fulfill what had been promised hundreds and hundreds of years before when the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the, in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The long-awaited Messiah was about to appear. So it was dark days politically, but it was, these were also very dark days spiritually, very discouraging days, wondering what is going on. Now I wonder, have you ever been given the silent treatment? Have you ever been given the silent treatment? I mean, you know, you, you talk to someone, no answer. You, you, you phone, you call, you text, you send an email, you write letters, no response. I'm sure we've all had that at one time or another or have given it to other people. And you start wondering, did they not hear me? Do they not know what's going on? Did they not get the message? And you keep wondering, okay, did I do something? Have I done something to tick them off? Have I upset that person? I don't know. Have you ever been in that position? Yeah, okay. I, I thought it was just me and, and, and you folks doing that to me all the time. You know, and, uh, and, and so anyways, I mean, this was a season for God's people. It wasn't just a day. It just wasn't a week. It wasn't a month. This was 400 years of silence. No prophetic revelation. No word from God. No prophets. A lot of false prophets and a lot of false prophecies, but nothing from God. Only things that were leading people astray. 400 years, no messages, no revelation, nothing, just silence from God. Malachi, this is how the end of the Old Testament ends in Malachi chapter 4, and I believe this will be on the screen and you can see this. Behold, this is the Lord speaking. I will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Uh, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Anyways, I'm just reading that wrong. Yeah, not very well uh, here. It's, it's my aged eyes. Um, and we will turn, the, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Or I will come and strike the land with destruction and silence, the end. That is basically the end of the Old Testament. It's like, okay, someone's coming. Messiah's coming. And there's going to be a forerunner. There's going to be someone who's, who's going to come and, and tell us and, and give us this awesome news. But God makes this promise. Hey, the deliverer will come. This is going to happen. And then, boom, nothing. Like just dead silence. Nothing for 400 years. And no doubt during this time, people started to wonder and question, has God forgotten his promises? Does God not see? Does he not know? Does he not care? Does he not uh, seem to give a... a a flying rip about what's going on here on this earth, especially with all these atrocities and different things that have happened. Even today, look at what's going on in our world. We see the darkness. We see the depravity. We see what's happening. Even in our own lives or, or, or in our family situations, we can be so discouraged because it looks so dark and so bleak. 
And then we call out to God and we ask God and we trust God and, and, and God seems silent, he seems distant, the prayers aren't being answered and, and so we start to even ask, God, do you see, do you know, do you care? And in the midst of this darkness, the silence pans to a single home of some faithful servants of God. Look at it in verse 5 and it says, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now, Zechariah, he was a priest from a small little obscure town in Israel. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. So, so there was some good priestly uh, blood in their veins. And they were a righteous couple, blameless couple before God. It doesn't mean they were perfect, but the best that they could, they desired to live out God's plans and God's purposes. They desired to live out the word of God as best that they could. They were really, 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 really good people. Probably better than any of us here, honestly. Like, I mean, as far as their diligence before God, their obedience to the word, just amazing people. They loved and served God and his people faithfully for years. Yet we see God was at work in the darkness that they were living in politically, spiritually, everything that was going on. It, they continued to, to press on with faith, with perseverance. Now here's something else that, that we see here. Write this down. God is at work, even in our disappointments. So, so God is at work when things seem dark and things seem bleak. God is at work still, but he's also at work in our disappointments. Look at in verse 7. And it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They had no child. They were, this basically tells us, they were old. Um, for years, they were hoping, they were praying for a child, but it never happened. No, and, and when it says they were well advanced in years, I like what the King James Version puts, they were stricken with age. <laughs> Isn't that a great way to say it? I mean, it was believed that they were probably in their mid to very late 60s. They didn't realize uh, back then that 60s are the new 40s, right? And I mean, and, and so they were stricken with age. And, and it doesn't take very long for you to realize that it doesn't take long for the, for the body to get stricken with age, right? I mean, I was just even saying something about my eyes here, and I keep saying, oh, I've got to do something about that. I remember laughing at my grandfather when I was a smart, smart aleck te um, teenager, laughing at my grandfather because I would see him at church on Sunday or go over um, to their house, and I'd see little swaths of beard that he missed. And I'm like, okay, how does he not see that? Like, he missed a swath of his beard. Yeah, truth be known now, if I don't put my glasses on when I go to shave and look in the mirror... I'm, mi I'm missing swaths of beer. I'm just like, I'm just like, and I'm not, he lived to 106. I, I mean, I, I'm not even halfway there. I mean, it, it's, well, almost, yeah, not, yeah, okay, just barely halfway there. He was, it, Zechariah, Elizabeth, they were stricken with age. They had so, they were well past childbearing years. I mean, this was just not going to happen, it would seem. And there was a stigma at this time in Jewish history that being childish, childish, not childish, childless was seen as a curse from God. And so they walked around with this feeling, with this understanding. You see, in the Old Testament, a universal or a general 
promise of God was that fertility was a sign of God's blessing upon his people. And, and, and to be without, to be barren was a sign of disgrace upon a nation. Again, that was a general promise for the nation itself and not personal. And for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was hard to go through these years. Everyone else is having babies. Some can produce like bunny rabbits. Like, I mean, it's just like, what, she's pregnant again? You know, and, and, and yet they could not get pregnant once. And they saw this as, as no doubt a curse from God. And we even, you're saying you're making that up, Melvin. No, just look at verse 25, where Elizabeth gives a, a, a blessing towards God. And, and, and she even talks about how God has removed her reproach. She saw this as God's disapproval on her life. Even though she knew it, it was still one of those hard things to really hold on to. Was something wrong? Is there something we did? Was it Zechariah's sin? Was it my sin? Was it something we've done? Are we missing something here? Is God angry with us? Is God ticked with us? Is that why he's not coming through? Even for us today, we can call out to God with various desires and hopes. And instead of the healing, things get worse or the loved one dies. Or the prodigal, despite praying for years upon years, is still out there and lost in the world. And even though you work hard and you give that full day, you give that full shovel to whatever it is you're doing, you still financially just struggle and can't seem to get ahead. Or perhaps you desire to be married or, or couples desiring to be pregnant or you long for to see your spouse get saved or to get serious with the Lord and you pray and you pour it out and you start to even internalize and think, is it something I'm doing? Is it something I'm missing? And so we... I've done that, and I'm sure I'm in good company where we start wondering, am I missing something here with God? Am I, is there a reproach upon, is this God's disapproval why he's not coming through? Is God withholding from me? God wasn't upset with Zechariah and Elizabeth, not at all. Not at all. No, God was pleased with them, and he was preparing them for something amazing. He was preparing them to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. And we need to believe, we need, the same is true for us today, we need to believe that God is at work even in the darkness and even in our disappointments, when it doesn't seem to be happening, when progress is slow or actually it, instead of progress, it seems like we're falling, sliding backwards. Thirdly, God is at work when we faithfully fulfill our duties. God is at work as we faithfully fulfill our duties. Here, we don't see Zechariah and Elizabeth just kind of cowering in self-pity. They didn't turn their backs and go, fine, if God's going to do this, we're just going to take a time out. We're just going to kind of sit around and we're just going to, you know what, watch ancient version of Netflix, you know, or whatever it is, and we're just going to sit by and we're just going to let life happen because, you know what, we're getting the raw deal from God. We've been faithful all these years and he didn't get, no, that's not what they're doing. God is at work as we faithfully fulfill our duties. God has work for you to do. Kingdom work. Not to come in Sunday after Sunday, sit on your hind end, get up, go home, critique, come back the next week. He has kingdom work for you to do. Yes, in the workplace. Yes, in your neighborhood. But also when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ for you to roll up your sleeves and be part of the work that God is calling us to do. We're so thankful we have Hope Kids going now. 
and, and thankful for the people serving in that ministry, but we're looking for more people. Not to, this isn't baby, if you view it as babysitting, then you're just going to see it as babysitting. This is imparting the love of God and the gospel, encouraging and allowing the gospel to infiltrate and penetrate the lives of these young kids, whether it's holding them and praying for them, pulling your hair out because it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, calling out to God in that way and yet praying, oh God, would you take the energy that this young girl has, this young boy has, and would, would that energy be poured into a love for you? It's praying over them, it's loving them, it's serving. It's giving parents an opportunity to hear the word. We're so thankful for that. Those who serve in, 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 in other, so many other areas of ministry behind the scenes and, and even up front, thankful for that. God has work for us to do to be kingdom builders, to be builders of his church, the bride of Christ, to be a part of that. And, and Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful. They didn't, they didn't cower in self-pity. No, they pressed on in, in faithful service. They were obedient to God. Now, it is believed that, that there was basically, I mean, he could have easily taken, I'm out of here, forget it, I'm out. Because there was basically, it's believed about 20,000 priests in the land of Israel at this time. They were spread throughout the land in various groupings and divisions, and they would do their priestly you know, activities in, in their various tribes and, and divisions and cities and towns that they lived in. But, Basically, the various groups and divisions would then go to Jerusalem, would go to the temple, oftentimes for it was about a month at a time, and there they would perform the priestly duties at the, at, at the temple, which was a great honor and a great privilege. And then they would return home after that. So let's read in verse 8 as, as we see how they faithfully fulfilled their duties. We see this in the life of Zechariah. It says, Verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, to serve at the altar of incense, I mean, this was the big deal. This was an honor and a privilege, oftentimes a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that they were given. This was an amazing thing for, for any priest to have. And, and on this day, on this certain day, God's appointed day, the lot fell on Zechariah and it was his turn. You see, daily God's people would gather at the temple to pray. They would, would gather in the outer courts and they would pray. And and, and at that time, as they, the people were praying, the chosen priest of that day would then go to the area next to the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was only the only place the high priest could go, and that was one day a year. But this was outside the Holy of Holies. This was the holy place. And, and the, the priest would go there and offer incense to God. And, and what a beautiful picture this would have been. As the incense was rising... And the people were praying was a beautiful, symbolic image of the prayers of people, of, of, of the prayers of people rising to the heaven, to the throne of God. Then afterwards, the priest would come out, and, and, and as he would come out after the prayers were done, he would declare this from Numbers chapter 6. And it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was 
this was a big deal. To come out and to declare this, there are times for me as a minister when I get to marry a couple and perform their ceremony and I get to say, I, Melden Lutzer, I don't even say that. I say, hey, as a minister of the gospel, by the authority vested in me, as a minister of the gospel and by the province of British Columbia, I pronounce you husband and wife. Whenever I do, the, the hairs just stand up on the, what a privilege, what an honor to be able to do that. What a great thing to be able to do. Well, for Zechariah to be able to stand there and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. And to declare this benediction over the people, this was the pinnacle of his career, if you want to say, this was the highlight. I like what Elizabeth Elliot said, who knew much about loss and heartache and confusion. She said, sometimes life is so hard, you can only do the next thing. Whatever that is, just do the next thing, and God will meet you there. Take a picture of that, screenshot it, do whatever. You, we need to take that, and we need to live that, even perhaps today. Life can be so hard, you may be so burdened today. You may be so discouraged because of the darkness, because of the discouragement, the disappointments, things that are going on in your life. And the only thing you can do is do the next thing. Whatever it is, just do the next thing. And as you do that, God will meet you. And that's what Zechariah did. In the darkness, in the disappointment, he continued to do the next thing. And God met him in a powerful way. Well, we press on in faithful obedience as we stay the course with God. God will work. It's that long obedience in the same direction, but so many of us tap out so early. So many of us just tap out and give up on God. We give up on service. We give up on, on even praying because it's just like, well, he's not answering. He's not coming through. It's that long obedience in the same direction, and look what happens, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. No one was to be there. This wasn't a time to get pranked. All right, you know, uh, where all of a sudden you have somebody kind of hiding around a corner and go, boop, you know, and, and you kind of, woo, you know, and, and you record that and you post it, you know, on social media, send it to people and everyone laughs. Well, this terrified Zechariah because this was not part of the plan to have someone there and it turns out to be an angel. And, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. It says, verse 12, 12, and fear fell upon him. An angel of the Lord appears. Gabriel, the messenger angel from God, comes and has a message from God for Zechariah, for him and only him. Wow, amazing. Here's another thing, another important reality. Insignificant significance, number four. God is at work even when our prayers are delayed or denied. Look at verse 13. It says, your prayer has been heard. Well, what prayer? What prayer specifically would he be talking about? Because I've had a lot of prayers, and I'm sure in just in a, in a flash second, perhaps a lot of this, well, what prayer has been answered? Well, we're going to get to it because the angel doesn't leave him holding like I'm going to leave you holding for now because we can start thinking, well, what is it, that prayer? That prayer for a son? That prayer for that child? Well, I think that ship has sailed after all. <laughs> Elizabeth, she's been stricken with years, and uh, so am I. You know, and uh, so, so it mustn't be that because <laughs> as if that's going to happen. Or was it the prayer, the faithful prayer of God's people that, that God's name and his people would be restored, that worship would be unhindered 
in the, at the temple and in Jerusalem, that Messiah would come. They would pray daily. They would pray for the Messiah, for the promised one, and for the restoration of Israel, to have it back in, in a place of prominence. So what prayer was it? It was both. It, 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 it was basically both in other. It was a many of his prayers, no doubt. Do you think, do you, do you know what happens when we pray? First of all, God just loves to hear your voice. He loves it when you talk to him. And a lot of times it may seem that your prayers aren't going anywhere, but you need to know what happens when you pray. Psalm 141, we are told that, that the prayers of God's people are a sweet aroma to him. And as God's children pray, our prayers rise to the heavens. Just as we saw in this story here, the altar of incense, the people in the court praying, and then they would see past, and they wouldn't see the altar, they wouldn't see the priest, but they would see the incense rising up. And as they're praying, they would see the incense going up. And, and you know what happens to that? It just doesn't become vapor. Our prayers just don't become vaporless in, you know, or, or turn into vapor and, and then are gone. No, what ends up happening, we see in Revelation chapter 9, we see that our prayers are kept in large bowls next to the throne of God as a sweet aroma and treasure to God. That's where our prayers go. They go into these big pots, big crock pots of prayers that we prayed. And they're there, and he's like, I love it when they pray. I absolutely love it. A sweet aroma. One of the interesting side effects that I've been dealing with lately as a result of COVID a while back is um, smell and taste, as, as other people have identified. But more lately, I've developed a phantom smell. And I smell brewed coffee a lot. And apparently it's a thing that can happen is, is, is I smell brewed coffee like 3 o'clock in the morning. The pot of coffee, uh, we didn't, don't have a pot of coffee. We use Keurig and it doesn't smell like, and I just smell this overwhelming pot of coffee. We're traveling in the car and I'm like, man, does it smell like coffee in here? She says, no. Charlotte says, no, it smells like the air freshener here that's, that, that's hanging. I'm like, hmm. And just like I was in the dentist's office, open wide, and I'm Oh, that coffee smells so good. And, and so at least it's a good smell for me. Um, Charlotte, Charlotte has a, her boss. Um, <laughs> he smells poop all the time. Like seriously. And, and another one of the coworkers smells uh, rotting food all the time. And so I get a good smell at least. And it's, like, it's, a, and it's a good quality pot of coffee that's being brewed, by the way. It's not like one of those Folgers. Oh, sorry if you like Folgers. But it's been sitting on the, uh, on, on the burner for like 16 hours and just has that tar smell. No, it's a good pot at least. Hey, our prayers are a sweet aroma to our God. He hears our words. He hears our prayers. Even those, those little whispers, those little thoughts, those times when we don't know what to pray, and the Holy Spirit then prays for us. And that goes into these bowls in heaven. And God hears. He knows. He cares. And God's telling him through this angel, he says, the Lord has, has heard your prayer. He's heard it. And the answer is coming. You know, even sweet aroma... Um, I hold on to th this folder was in one of our drawers. I have various drawers downstairs, upstairs, nightstand. I got this one out of the nightstand. It was much fuller, and I kind of dumped stuff out on the floor. Sorry, dear. I'll clean that up later. But, but, but I've got things that, cards and stuff that our kids sent, you know, or have given me over the years, and, and some, some artwork. And, well, 
Nate's not an artist, that's for sure. But, you know, he's got other gifts and abilities. He, he's definitely not that. But, you know, and, and just even this, you know, dear dad, thank you for always throwing the football with me. I love you. Thanks. Go Riders. <laughs> they weren't very good last week. But anyway, but, but you know, and, and then a Valentine's Day card from my daughter and other cards and notes. And, and, and you look at these things and you smile. And, and last night as I was going through, there were some pictures of the kids and I put them all in a group and sent it to the kids and they laughed because they're pretty embarrassing pictures of the kids. And, and yet these are sweet aromas. These are so sweet to us. And in the same way, folks, in the same way, our God holds on to all these things from his precious children. He cherishes them. He holds on to our prayers. Not one of our prayers is lost. And then in his sovereignty, in his timing, he answers. No prayer is ignored or forgotten. Sometimes they are delayed. Sometimes he comes through in the way that we ask. And other times those prayers are denied, but he does answer. And God is at work even when our prayers and our longings are delayed, even when they're denied. We were in Calgary this past week and appreciate the prayers uh, that many of you prayed for us as we went. And we went to the funeral of our daughter's father-in-law who passed away from acute leukemia age 54. A man who loved Jesus, a man who loved his family, loved his church. I talked to his pastor afterwards and he said, this guy was the backbone to our church plant when we started. He says, this church, we know that Christ builds a church, but it's on the backs of faithful servants like this, and that, that was Conrad. He coached his kids um, basketball and hockey and continued on with that and, and influenced so many people throughout his life, and, and hundreds and even thousands of people probably were praying and asking God to heal knowing and believing that God could and can heal, and yet God in his sovereignty said no to his physical healing here on this earth, leaving a huge hole for his wife, Barb, and his three daughters and our son-in-law, Toby. You know, God's word in Hebrews 11, we have that great Hebrews hall of fame of men and women who lived by faith and saw God do amazing things. But I love the way God's word doesn't pull any punches. It, it, it's, it shows reality because the very end of it starts talking about people who never received from God what they had hoped for and longed for. And in fact, some were persecuted, some were sawn in two. It gets very graphic about what happened to these people. They didn't get their answers from God. But it says at the end, it says, but they too were commended for their faith. And it says, their, this earth was not worthy of them. That the Lord has something greater and God has something for his faithful servants even when our prayers at times are denied. God is planning something better for them and God, we believe, is richly rewarding Conrad in these days. Hard for us now. Hard for the family. And one day, believe that we will understand. I like what Dave Harvey, the president of the Great Commission Collective, the body of network of churches that we're a part of has just recently gone through. A, he and his wife have gone through the tragic loss of their daughter. And they are left looking after with great joy, but also with a great challenge looking after their young granddaughter that she left. She was a single mom. And she passed away just recently. And, and he said in an email to us, he said, I want to suspend judgment on why God took our daughter until I can ask him face to face. Isn't that beautiful? It's just, hey, one day, one day, either I'll ask or one day it'll all make sense. But 
Until then, I'm going to suspend judgment. It's in these times when our prayers are denied or delayed, we must come to rest and believe by faith that God is in control, that He is sovereign, that He is working, that He hears, He knows, He cares, and one day it will be worth it. And one day it will make sense. But it may not be today or it may not be tomorrow. And here in this passage, we see that God was bursting through the silence, through the disappointment, through the darkness, through the denied prayers for so long. It says, verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call him John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Not only will they have a son in their old age, their son is going to be the one who picks up where Malachi left off. He's going to be the one that's going to be the forerunner, the one that Malachi talked about. Look at what it says then in verse 16, and we see this. This is from Malachi, and he says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is after 400 years God is breaking through. This is through 40 years of praying for a child, and all of a sudden God's breaking through. Their son John would go on to have a significant impact in preparing the way for Messiah. Elizabeth gave birth to him. And then, but before that, even she was a great help and encouragement to Mary to provide a place, safe place of refuge as you continue reading in Luke, in Luke chapter 1. Loved ones, we must believe that God is at work even when our prayers are denied or delayed. And then lastly, fifthly, God is at work even when we struggle with doubt. I love, again, just the honesty of God's word. Just that, you know what, you have these faithful people and they're faithfully messed up people too. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife, <laughs> she's advanced in years, she's stricken <laughs> with age. Now, instead of rejoicing, he's questioning. He has an angel showing up and he's like, eh, kind of like a sign here. Like, I, I, I love some kind of, you know, like just way of just verifying that this is actually going to happen. Really, in reality, what Zechariah was saying here is, I don't, I don't trust you. He's, he's basically saying, I don't trust God's word. Give me something more. That's never a good prayer request. That's never a good ask when you say, hey, I need something more than God's word. Don't do it. Here we have a man of God faithfully serving yet he's struggling with doubt. And I think, again, you and I can be like that too. We're in good company with Zechariah, aren't we? Are you going to be honest and shake your head? Yes, just do it anyways. Yeah, there we go, because I don't want you to lie in church. We can oftentimes still struggle with doubt. We see, we know what God's word says, and yet we can still struggle. I'd like a sign. I'd like an extra word. No, it's been written. It's here for us. God will lead us and guide us by his Holy Spirit through his word. Say, people say, well, I want to hear God speak to me. I love this. It was George Stephan would say this, um, who, or, who's now in Saskatoon. And, uh, and he would say, hey, you want to hear God, God speak to you? Read the Bible out loud. 
And if you still can't hear him, read it louder. Because God will speak through his word. Verse 19, and the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I, sent, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. You want a sign? You want a miracle? <laughs> I'll give you one, all right. Verse 20, and behold, here's your sign. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And as you continue to read, Zechariah was deaf and unable to speak for well over nine months. It would have taken some time to get home, spend some time with Elizabeth, get her pregnant. And I'm sure she got pregnant really fast then. And, uh, and then nine months. And, and, and then he was given time to ponder, to think. And later in this chapter, we see that when John was born, when, when John was eight days old, they took him to the temple to be circumcised. And Zechariah's tongue was loosed, and he was able to speak as he declared his name is John, meaning God is grace. And again, I love God's word as it just shows that insignificant people that God can use in significant ways, even though they stumble and struggle and doubt, that gives hope for me. I trust it gives hope for you. Yet God's plans cannot and will not be thwarted by our doubt, by our questioning. God's like, I've got a plan, and here it is. So how do we live what we learn here today as we wrap this up? We get ready to worship the Lord. A few questions. Where does life, the questions are on the screen, and I encourage you to look at these and examine your own life. Where does life seem dark for me right now? Our world is looking pretty dark, and maybe that's beating you up with some serious fear. It can be discouraging and concerning days that we're living in. Perhaps you're feeling overwhelmed. Admit it to God. Tell God about it. Just get real before Him. Tell others. Have others stand with you in prayer. The thing that stinks the most is when we won't give it to God, and the thing that stinks the second most is when we don't have people standing and praying with us, and that's what our groups are for. That's what godly brothers and sisters in Christ are for, is so that we don't struggle alone. Where does life seem dark for me right now? Second of all, where am I disappointed today? Are there areas where it just seems God hasn't or isn't coming through, and you pray and you pray, and instead things are not getting better, they're getting worse, and you just wonder? Be honest before God. Call out to Him. So many of the psalms that you read are laments before God. So oftentimes it's, where are you, God? Like, what is going on? Like, really, God? Really? Is this, is this really going on? Are you allowing this, God? God can handle our questions. God can handle our confusion and our frustration. But we often see at the end of the psalms, they're settling back, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you. Where am I disappointed, but where am I going to trust and thirdly, where do I need to roll up my sleeves and fulfill my duties? What steps of obedience do I need to take this week? Don't cower in a corner. Don't, 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 don't sit in the corner and suck your thumb and rock yourself like a little child kind of thing and just say, well, it's going to get better. It's going to get No, get up, get busy. What has God given you to do it? Do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. By faith, we press on and we persevere. What's the next right thing that God 
has for you to do. Because as we continue to do that next right thing, God will meet us. Maybe not tomorrow, but as we keep doing that next right thing, God will come through. God will make a way. God will show us. What's that next thing? Getting help for that struggle, that addiction. Stepping up spiritually to obey and to get into God's word. Maybe it's extending to forgiveness to someone who you're holding on to bitterness. Perhaps it's baptism, which is a crucial, important command for God's people. God's word says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And baptism, after we've given our hearts, committed ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the next step is to be baptized. We're, we're planning, Lord willing, a baptism service on January the 2nd. We'd love to have, we have a, have a tank, a portable tank that's been built that we can use. What a great way to start the new year by being obedient to God's word. Get on the online connection card today, fill that out. Talk to me after the service, talk to Brett, talk to a small group leader, and then make sure we get that information. We'd love to see you get baptized January 2nd. But what is that next thing that God has for you to do, that next step of obedience? To pray with your spouse, to get into God's word, to sign up, to be in a group. What is that next step? And then fourthly, where do I need to keep persevering in prayer and trusting the Lord in? Those areas that we might think of insignificant can become significant areas of blessing in our lives. It's in the little things that God works and God shows up and God blesses. Little is much when God is in it. And so, Lord, even now, I trust that we would learn from this faithful couple through disappointments, discouragements, delays, doubt, darkness in their world, politically, socially, culturally, so much going on. God, we can relate, probably not even on the basis of what, they've got, what they went through as your faithful children. And God, I pray that we would come to that point where we would crown you. We would worship you. As the wise men came, as the shepherds came and, and, and worshipped, oh God, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth adoring and crowning you in their obedience, in their faith, in their continuing to keep on, keeping on, regardless of what happens. God, I pray that even now as we begin, life after this message, it would be with us crowning you Lord of all, of our lives, of our families, of our situations, of our finance, of this world and all that's going on. God, the King of all things, we crown you King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's stand and worship together.